What's up, Los Angeles? It's your host, Casey Diaz of the Shot Caller Podcast. Hey, man, uh, besides all these uh, fires out here in California, it's still Cali. It's still good. There's still sunshine and uh, a whole lot of palm trees. So uh, we're good. I got some good, good um, guests here with us today. And um, we're going to go ahead and roll with their stories. Good stuff. Stay tuned. Hey, what's up, everyone? Um, it's a good day here in Los Angeles. I got two guests. Uh, I got a twofer. Uh, wasn't expecting a twofer, but got a twofer, so took the twofer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I have with us a um, good friend from the past uh, who rolled around the same uh, streets of Los Angeles as I did. Uh, I have with us today Robert and Darlene. Welcome to the Shot Caller Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, good to have you guys. Um, I know we came across uh, Robert with, um, uh, first of all, I didn't even know that you were out. Uh, um, uh, last time we saw each other um, was in uh, the old central jail, downtown LA, and uh, had no idea that you were even out. Um, but through uh, Raz, man, Raz has... He's like the net. Uh, he's gonna change. I'm gonna change his name to Network because this dude has uh, connections everywhere. Uh, and uh, he told me about you being out and uh, how he had contacted you and and uh, you guys were talking already. And he thought it was a good idea to you know uh, see if you were able to do the the interview. And and um, I'm I'm glad that you that you accepted. And uh, and then you brought man your your better side. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I never understood the, the that saying or, you know, um, behind every uh, man stands, uh, you know, a strong woman. Yeah, yeah. Actually, in my case, it's a greater woman. Mm-hmm. There um, you go, man. So I, I'm, you know, I'm a believer now. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And, and he's saying that out of his heart. Uh, he's not in trouble or anything like that. <laughs> Darlena, welcome. Uh, welcome to the show. Uh, glad that you, uh, uh, joined us and uh, and we get to meet each other and 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 show, share your story as well. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Awesome. Uh, so, I wanted to start, um, and this is unique because uh, actually you're the first. Uh, uh, I've always had um, just one on ones, uh, so this is going to be the first one where we're running with uh, you know two people, mm-hmm. and and it's extra special because uh, well, I don't want to ruin it. I'm gonna, I'm going to save it for later. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but um, uh, I think our, our audience will already already captured if, if if they haven't yet. But you have unique stories, both of you, and you're doing something amazing in your communities. Uh, you're doing something productive. You're doing something with your freedom. You're doing something that a lot of people that when they come out, um, they're lost. You know. Uh, I, I talked with uh, Robert about when you first parole out, you have 200 bucks of gate money. And uh, by the time that you get to Los Angeles, if you took a, a, a Greyhound like I did, um, if your family didn't go pick you up, well, there goes about 47 bucks out of the 200 for the ticket. I don't know how much it is now. That's what it was back then. I still actually have my Greyhound ticket from Sacramento. I saved it, yeah. I should bring it to the podcast yeah, one of these days. I should, man. <laughs> but you know, but then we're left with um, what's what's next, right? Uh, but I wanted to 
go all the way back uh, to your childhoods. Um, where would you come from? Where were you born? So I was I was born um, I was actually born in Hollywood, um, and my parents lived in the Pico Union area. Um, so growing up, I live I lived you know in between Washington and Hoover and that area, which now is probably known for the Staples Center, which is right around the corner of uh, Los Angeles. Um, I grew up in, in you know, um, a, a big house, home, um, but it was filled with aunts and uncles and the grandparents, you know, and <laughs> three dogs and the chickens in the back and the, the pigeons, you know, wherever we can put them. So that, that was, you know. And one car. Yeah, one car. Right? <laughs> it was a station wagon, too. <laughs> there you go. You yeah, had space. So, yeah. So that was that was my childhood. Wow. You know, that was my childhood. And it was it was good. Yeah. You know, I, I um the earliest memories that I have as a child are are one of warmth and, and care. Um, you know, my grandma, she 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 was my my main uh caretaker, um, which I think is is kind of you know what what happens a lot in in, in Mexican families and in Hispanic families. Um so yeah, and and you know, and then you have the abuelo, yeah. right? You know? <laughs> Cabron, you know, you know, get get to work, you know, and <laughs> You know, I see no, I see no lasses, you know, and, and so that's, you know, it, it was, it was good. It was, it was good. Those, those are like my fondest, uh, early, early childhood memories. Yeah. You know, the holidays and, you know, at that time you're so young and, and like you don't even know you're poor. Yeah. You don't, you know? right? <laughs> like it, it, until you grow up and you go, dang it, we were broke. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Um, so yeah. Um, you know, however, uh, very quickly, my parents, uh, we, we moved out from, from that, that home um, that we shared uh, with, with my extended family. Uh, we moved into our own apartment, you know, and unfortunately, some things, they, they drastically changed for me, you know. Um, I, I, I have the, the emotional intelligence now, the understanding, the insight to, you know, to dive into it, to talk about it. Um, but it, it's it's been over um, years, you know, of, of yeah. looking into yourself, of self-reflect, you know. Examination. Examination, yeah, and, and, and a lot of personal growth, um, you know. And, and so, you know, I figured out at, at a very young age that my mom suffered from alcoholism, uh, depression, you know, and, and my dad was, was uh, like he had the hero mentality he was like codependent um and so you know they they worked hard you know they yeah. provided the food and the shelter um and they did the best they could you know unfortunately um when you're nine years old ten years old and you don't understand why your mom is is crying why your mom is is drunk you know or passed out on the floor um it's difficult, you know, and, and, yeah. and you're a young man, you know, you're a little little kid. And and the first instinct was, you know, anger. Yeah. You know, and that, that really cut deep into me at, at a very young age. So I was a very angry, rambunctious, um, emotional kid. Um, you know, and I understand now, you know, like my parents did all the right things, you know, try to uh, emphasize education and... Um, you know, uh, that, that provided the best that they could for me. 
but if you're not walking the walk, you know, um, you know, you're going to confuse a child, you know, and that's, that's, that's how how I I grew up, you know. So the interesting part of your story now, uh, as I'm hearing you uh, share it uh, in your early days, you're that rare percentage where both parents were in the household. And statistically, um, what happened to you shouldn't have. Right. You know, because when you hear of many, many dudes uh, that have our background, it's always a one-parent situation. It's always, a, and most likely it's a single mom raising you um, or, or a broken family or there's violence, a tremendous amount of violence in the household, which kind of plays into why we end up where we end up. Uh, but it's interesting to, to hear you speak about your two parents and then, and then them doing all that they could. Mm-hmm. You know, you, 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 you get dealt with a hand, and those are the cards that you got to play with. And, you know, as an adult now, we look back and we look at our parents and go, man, they were really doing the best they could with the current situation that they were in. And unfortunately, you know, we, we, we took wrong turns. Darlene, so you're here and, and, and did you grow up in, in the same, around the same area or? Yeah, I grew up in LA in the Rampart area. Um, and it's funny enough, I actually grew up with both, both my parents as well. <clears throat> um, they were both in the home the whole time. Um, they were just parents that worked a lot. And at a really young age, um, you know, there was a, some physical abuse that I witnessed very young. Um, and my mom responded with just spending money, you know, being out of the house, working and spending money. So there wasn't really any um, family structure there. Um, I'm the youngest of four and so I got sort of like the back end of everything. Um, and when I was like in elementary school, uh, my parents actually moved us out of Los Angeles and into San Bernardino. And I was like, I, I wasn't having it. I wanted to be back in LA with my family, with my friends. And um, that's sort of like when I started to get introduced to like the neighborhood. And I would actually take the lunch money that they would give me to f- take the Metro Link back to LA, back to my neighborhood. By yourself? By myself. <laughs> and I that was just a ticket. <laughs> <laughs> you knew how to do that. <laughs> I knew how to do it. And uh, my parents would find me. Um, They'd go searching for me in my neighborhood. They'd pay some of like my homegirls to like tell them where I'm at. And um, my cousins were from my neighborhood as well. Okay. So, um, you know, when both my parents are immigrants, my mom came from the Philippines. My dad came from Guatemala. Um, they worked really hard. And I understand now as an adult, what they tried to provide, they also stressed education. Um, But they just weren't present. And I think that's just what I needed. 
Um, I remember one time I got into a fight in uh, juvenile, uh, not juvenile hall, um, junior high school, right? And my mom had to come pick me up at school. And she was like, why were you doing this? Like, what's wrong with you? And I remember like crying and telling, because you're never here. You never mm. ask me how my day is. You never, wow. like, you know. Um, the abuse stopped. You know, my, my dad stopped um, hitting my mom. Um, but there was just so many other elements that impacted me. Um, the abandonment, because my parents, even though we lived in San Bernardino, they would also drive back to Los Angeles to work. So we were we had no parental supervision, and that's why I found myself all to, always like back in LA. I could take the train because yeah. nobody knew. Yeah, nobody knew that I was gone. Wow. <laughs> so, and you know, w one of the things that uh, is interesting too, uh, as well, is that uh, I don't know if you guys experienced the same thing. I'm I'm pretty sure you probably did, um, but I'd rather hear from you guys. One of the things that I've found is that back then. Even when this, before we got involved in whatever we got involved in, right? Mm -hmm. The gang culture and all that. The good days yeah. of elementary. And, you know, we started, I think we all started messing around in the first year of, uh, of junior high, right? That's when we really started going all over the place. But my parents were never at any meet the teacher night, uh, any, any reward that was ever you know, received, yeah. my folks were never there. And it, was that the same experience that, that you guys had as well? Yeah, no, it's funny you, you touched on that. Um, there's there's just like a searing memory that I have. Um, you know, like it, like I said, it's taken a lot of time, <laughs> yeah, yeah. a lot of years to, to <laughs> be able to, to, to speak on these things, to understand them. Um, so I remember I was probably in sixth grade, yeah. sixth grade. And, you know, during that time, um, uh, breakdancing had just came out. That's right. You know, yeah, and, and you remember that era, right? Beat Street. Beat Street, right. And, you know, we're all walking around with our Puma shoes and, you know, doing fat laces. Our fat laces, you know, and, and our windbreakers, you know. And, and so, you know, I, we're in the neighborhood. We, we used to, like, practice and, you know, I'm going to do this move. We're going to do that. Like, we would literally practice for hours, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and in front, <laughs> on a cardboard, on tile, whatever we can find. That Nalo day. No, no. But how do you even say that word? Nalo no. Nanoleum? Yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, <right>. That word. <laughs> with with uh, our boombox and, you know. And so, you know, I, at school, me and a couple other of, of the sixth graders were like, yeah, we're going we're gonna to break dance for, yeah. for our talent show. Yeah. You know, so we get up on stage and, you know, we, we do our, our little dance and like I got all we got all into this. You know, yeah, we, yeah. we went and we bought the same clothes and we did Dang. the same moves. You, know? <laughs> you went like, out loud. You went out loud, bro. It was like and and at the end of the at the end of the at the end of, you know, the the contest, we won. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, wow. and this was in Carpenter Elementary School in Studio City. Wow, they, they, they bust you all yeah, the way over? Yeah, that's a whole other story. Yeah. Wow, man. I, was a, <laughs> so, I thought you were going to pull a Hoover Elementary joint. <laughs> no. So, so, you know, and we were, we were like, these, these kids had bands, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. They, they had, you know, they Orchestra. had... Yeah, they were dancing ballet. <laughs> and, Cellos. You know, yeah, and, like, they, they, they literally had drum sets <laughs> like, and everything. Why are these guys with cardboard? Yeah, you know. <laughs> 
but you know we 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 actually won and and it was it was a great like i was like i i i you know they gave us a trophy you know yeah, and it yeah. was a little oscar it said first place on it and you actually were they didn't give participation to trophies back then no you, no you weren't there you yeah, got that it was first yeah. second or third and that's it there was no fourth no there was no everybody gets <laughs> a banner for yeah. participation right like all that none good. of that so you know i get home and 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 i i run upstairs and you know my mom was she was knocked out and i kind of moved her and you know i could smell the alcohol yeah. and i showed her the the trophy and you know she looked at me and she was like oh that's that's nice mijo and then she just like rolled over and fell back asleep and you know i remember standing there with my trophy um and then you know i just i went and i and I, and I, i i slammed it i i broke it um jumped on my bike and i hit the street yeah you know so and those are those are pivotal moments mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. you know you worked hard you put all this effort in and you know either knowingly or unknowingly just those words mm-hmm. just that just that motion of going back you know to turning around that that really inside of our you know young brains it 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 does take effect even until adulthood like you said i i know that i've had moments like that like that moment that as a grown man a grown man you 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 look back and you go dang you know that was jacked up but it affects you and it affects how you act to things uh, how do you respond to uh, different scenarios and situations um it it really has an effect uh, a lasting effect that if we don't deal with that you know uh, moments like that aren't fixed with bix mm-hmm. you know yeah. <laughs> just it, they don't um what what school did you guys go to i mean when you you grew up in the same area as i i did what um elementary schools did you go to um i went to actually i went to um glassell park glassell uh, park from yeah. rampart to glassell park yeah. Yeah, I went to Glassell Park cuz my parents um my mom worked in Glendale. Okay. So um I went to Glassell Park for a while. This was when like um I think it was Avenues was really big like Yeah, so yeah, Highland the, Park. Yeah. Um so I went to school there and um I went to school with my my brothers and they're just a year older than me. So, I was really like protected by them. Yeah. Um but when we moved to San Bernardino, um I don't I don't even really remember going to school much because I was always trying to go back to LA. Like I would literally ditch junior high to those ditching parties. Just just to <laughs> just to hop on the train for two hours and to hop back on in the evening and and that was common right like uh yeah. back in those days like we 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 walked to school yeah no I, we're gonna sound old but yeah right <laughs> no I, i remember one time we walked literally from studio city back to pico and union like that's from our elementary school yeah. yeah that's a long it took walk. all day but we walked you know the whole yeah. way And you know you're talking probably graffitiing on along yeah, the way. Yeah, no, it was a good old time, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
Nowadays, uh, kids don't really walk. Nah, man. They, the street. Yeah, it's, <laughs> now they got Uber and stuff, apps and uh, all they that, right? Motorized you got motorized <laughs> scooters on the street. That what's that all about? <laughs> we didn't have that. You know, we we walked up the hill and you know that's just how it went. I did I did attend uh, Magnolia Street Elementary for some time. Okay. Yeah, Magnolia. What was your middle school? Um, or your junior high school, that's what we used to call uh, it. Junior high school, I think it was Adams. I think I went to Adams for a short period of time. Uh, yeah, I went to Adams for a short period of time. And then I ended up again back in in the Valley, uh, North Hollywood at Walter Reed Junior Walter High Reed. School. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I ended up staying uh, first in Hoover Elementary, mm. then uh, Berendo. Oh, Berendo. Oh, Berendo. Yeah. Berendo. Remember Berendo? <laughs> uh, then I went to Virgil. Oh, yeah. Virgil. yeah. Virgil, and then from there to Mount Vernon mm. uh, up on uh, Venice and uh, Crenshaw. Uh, but, you know, same thing, going to ditching parties, being a knucklehead, and, and that's the early stage of, you know, joining a gang. So at what, what point, you know, because, I mean, this interview is going to cover uh, the gang culture that you eventually got involved with what, what was it that attracted you and how did you get first introduced into that so you know it's 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 probably a very familiar story um at the beginning you know um you're young you're dealing with these emotional um things that you have going inside of you and you know you hit the street yeah you know and and you know for me we're talking about mid 80s you know um even early to mid '80s, um, it was a very different time here in, in Los Angeles, um, as you're well aware, and yeah. I'm sure your listeners um, are too. Uh, so, you know, it was it was out the door, and it was like gangs, drugs, dealers, and you know, the night ladies. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it was that type of uh, environment um, that you're growing up in, and you see the the fancy cars, you see who has the money, you see, you know, who, who has a pretty girlfriend, you know, you're, you're young, impressionable. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I want that, you know, and I want that. Um, so you, you start to figure out ways. Um, and very quickly you, you, I, I found a, um, peers, you know, my peers, you know, all around the same age, you know, all, um, similar backgrounds um you know we started hanging out and like all my i'm i'm the only so for in my family it's just like uh, me and my sister uh you know my my sister's four years younger than i Uh, so very quickly you know i i start hanging around the kids at the park and we're riding our bikes um and you know at, at that age, you're able to ride anywhere you want. Like, I, we, we could ride from Pico Union all the way to Hollywood in, in one day and just cross every neighborhood and, and not have a just care in the world. Um, and I, I think, like, those are the some of the best days that I had, you know. It's, it's just that sense of freedom and just yeah. getting out there and not having to look over your shoulder or worry about what neighborhood I was in or, you know, those, those type of deals. And But very quickly, all that changed for us. You know, it changed for me and, and some of my, my childhood friends. Um, the, the local gangs in our, in our area, um, you know, they started to, to, you know, push up on us. You know, now we're 11, now we're 12. 
and you know they're they're seeing you know that there's 10 12 kids that are gathering and i i very very um vividly remember the first time that i felt like this sense of urgency to want to protect myself and and my friends you know which i i adopted as my family uh, was we were at at another friend's house and uh, this little girl comes running in you know uh, a friend childhood friend a junior high and she's like hey 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 they they stabbed uh david they stabbed david and you know i'm telling myself like what like you know we weren't from any gang we weren't we're just bike riders and we ran down there um, and an ambulance was already taking him you know and then later on we found out that a a gang had hit him up and stabbed him and you know at that time we weren't a gang excuse me we weren't um involved in any type of 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 that those activities <laughs> um but it made me very angry you know and and i remember telling myself with my friends just walking back like we're not going to let that happen to us again hmm. you know and so these 11 and 12 year old kids all six of us call a meeting Mm. <laughs> That's and, when it happens. <laughs> and we're like, what are we going to do? And we're like, well, how much money do we have? And they're like, well, you know where we can get a gun? Well, my dad has a gun. Well, my uncle has a gun. Well, let's get them. Let's start to carry them. And, you know, by that by that time, by that age, you're already somewhat desensitized to the violence yeah. because you're seeing it every You've day seen on the it. street. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I, like the first time that I seen somebody get shot, um, I still remember that to this day, clearly as 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 if it happened yesterday, you know. And and I was probably like nine or eight years old. Um, these these guys chased this other guy. They they actually they had jumped him. He was about to run into his house when somebody put up, pulled out a gun and, and shot him and in, in front of his home. Um, and then I remember hearing the screams of of his family and his his mother coming out that those those were like my first you know memories of that that violent um environment that that we grew up in so you you kind of um it it almost seems just like it's just a regular thing to do and so from one gun you know it, it went to another gun and then we're like well we you know what let's so we were what are we going to do? Are we going to join a gang? Are we going to... So we decided to, to form our own gang. And yeah, very quickly, you know, within months, um, we went from 12 to 20 to 30. It was just a very different time here in Los Angeles. And we had the, the crack cocaine. Yeah, like the just, epidemic. Uh, yeah. Just barely starting to, to sweep into to the neighborhoods. Um, the police was overwhelmed at that time. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's how I took my first steps into the gang uh, culture and lifestyle. And, and, and then there's um, the, the other side, right? Because here, Darlene, you're, you're um, you know, 
we can all see you and you're a young lady and you there in the beginning of that time uh there weren't many you know uh girls that were joining gangs it wasn't until uh, i think i would say safely the late 80s that more of the girls started becoming more uh it, the gang started getting populated by girls mm-hmm. and and those those girls were usually the the, the party girls right they weren't gangbangers they, they were just you know party chicks yeah. and you know a lot of people that don't know the the history of Los Angeles and and the gang culture there a lot of these uh, the, the the disco thing uh, started happening right disco parties and disco chicks and these are the girls that were attracted to the gang members and slowly but surely would then trickle in and, and end up joining some of them would some of them didn't so what was your story on that side because here you are in in Rampart, yeah. uh, not such a great-looking neighborhood. What attracts you to to that kind of lifestyle? Well, actually, I was introduced to like my neighborhood through family. Through family. Yeah. Wow. So, um, in the beginning, it was just hanging out. Yeah. You know, um, what I found attractive attractive about the lifestyle is. Actually, um, so I'm part Filipina and part Guatemalan. Yeah. And I grew up with the majority of my Filipino side. Okay. So there's two sides to the neighborhood that I joined, the gang that I joined. There's a Filipino side and a Hispanic side. And um, I was like. I think I know what you're talking about. I'm Did just I gonna, give you a uh, Yeah, uh, I I'm just gonna sit it all right. Yeah, yeah, I'm just gonna stand. I'm just gonna sit here on my corner. <laughs> Let the audience figure yeah. that out. <laughs> so I was like, "Wow, there's like a bridge." Yeah, there. That was a bridge for me to connect to the other side of me that I didn't really know, and um, how like welcoming everybody was and because I was so disconnected from my family at a young age um and when you grew up in the a Filipino family one because I'm biracial two because I'm dark-skinned I was sort of ostracized Mm. um so it was only me and my two brothers that are biracial right um so we were treated a little bit different. You could feel it. And because I had already felt that, grew up with that, I felt more accepted by my neighborhood, by my homeboys, um, because they were used to, you know, both both cultures. Yeah, yeah. Right? Um, so that's actually what really connected me to them. And um, I thought I found identity through that neighborhood. And I just made it a point to always go back. And and yeah, there was the girls that partied. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to be one of them. <laughs> I, I was, I rejected that idea. Um, I would hate it when people would call me a chola. Yeah. Um, they'd be like, oh, you're just a chola. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm not. I'm a gangster, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. like that. Like Damn. I wanted to be identified. Like take you know, my money. 
um, I wanted to run with the guys. Yeah, yeah. I didn't want to run with the girls, you know, because you hear a lot of stories. I was 12 when I got into my neighborhood. Yeah. So you hear a, a lot of stories about like, oh, this homegirl went to go party with this neighborhood. And yeah, we went we went here to go blast and then, you know, we saw so-and-so and I was like, oh, hell no, I'm not going to be that person, you know. Yeah. If anything, I was going to be in that car. Yeah, yeah. And I'm going to catch the yeah. homegirl over there. Yeah, yeah. So um, that was just my thing. Like, I I wanted to be one of the guys. It, you and know, I, I strive to do it, you know. Yeah. I think... um. You, you know, when, when because you have different type of gang members yeah. uh, in every gang. Mm -hmm. You know, they're, they're the guys that, that just, you know, they dress apart. Uh, they sound like everybody else. Um, you know, but deep inside, they really aren't the extremist. Yeah. And then you have the extremist part, which is really a, a handful. It's not like, you know, you could be in a gang of, you know, 300 a thousand, but it really is a very small percentage that mm -hmm. takes it to the next level. And so you, you, here you are, you're, you're a young lady, 12 years old. I mean, you know, some of the people that, uh, I have a lot of listeners and, and, and viewers that they just like hearing these type of stories. And when they hear 11, 12, in their mind, they're thinking, geez, man, I, I have an 11 year old, a 12 year old that has never seen anything like this but it was very common back back in the uh in the 80s and, and early 90s mm -hmm. to be joining these gangs that early on i mean you know and and i like what you shared about you know riding bikes because i remember there was be between the 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 break dancing yeah was the skateboarding mm -hmm. and the riding bikes, the riding bikes. Uh, you know did you own a diamondback or a red line anything like that <laughs> diamondback a yeah. diamondback and there you go I that's what i, I had, had a mongoose yeah, I had a stolen one. <laughs> but that's right. And then short, it was like, like from one day to the other, we went from breakdancing, you know, the skateboards, the bikes. And then the next thing you know, we're wearing, you know, size 36 when our waist was like, I don't know, 10 <laughs> pants. I mean, just like that. And, and, you know, here you are caught up in this web of, of violence and and, uh, and just craziness, so I, I want to talk about because a lot of people are aware of who you are. Um, they know your story. Um, you know, it, it made a lot of noise in Los Angeles uh, with the news and everything else. You you went in there for a violent crime, and you ended up spending how many years? incarcerated so i was arrested at the age of uh, 16 and i spent 28 years and in, in prison 28 years in cdc yeah 28 years uh, about 15 of those in solitary confinement in the shoe program in in different ad segs okay and shoe yeah yeah. yeah yeah that's a long time man that's a long time. Yeah, right. Talk talk about a road to redemption. Yeah, man. <laughs> and, and and I mean, what was your? You know, I remember bumping into you like we shared earlier uh, in East Lake Juno Hall, and then uh, we would bump into each other uh, in the Men's Central Jail. 
how was your experience? I mean, you know, I think we all had a similar one, but talk about your experience. I mean, you're walking in as a young man, young gang member, um, into the LA County jail. Yeah. And, and, and you know, it, it's just, when I think back, uh, like you just talked about individuals, kids, teenagers that get into these um, gangs and become the extremists. Um, you know, when I look back now, I can, I can say, yeah, you know, I was, I was one of those for probably a, approximately two and a half years. Yeah. You know, and looking back now, it's like saying I, you know, in a sense, it's it's very different. But, you know, I think back and, you know, so I traded two and a half years for 28. Yeah. Wow. I didn't even look at it that way. But and, you know, and then I'll, I'll talk more about, um, you know, when when things really started to to turn around for me when when my conscience um, was was awoken. But, you know, walking into juvenile hall, 16 years old, um, already with a sense of hopelessness. Yeah. Because at that time, you know, it's, I don't, the culture was like, I remember we used to plan getting buried. Yeah, that's what that's. You know, we we used to be like, hey, homie, when I die, you know, make sure that they put they put the neighborhood flag on me. Make sure that I'm wearing this. The jersey. Yeah, you know, and that's that's the life that we lived. Yeah. Like, in when you're so young, mm. you don't you don't you don't understand. You know, you don't, you have no understanding of of the value yeah. of, of of life of a human life. And going going into that state of hopelessness and understanding that you're either going to end up in prison or dead. Yeah. Like, those are your two paths. That's it. And when you end up in prison, you know that, like, this is going to be home. And, you know, in the back of my mind, maybe it was a way for me to survive. You know, but I kept this this vision of me like, I'm going to get through this, I'm going to get out, and then I'm going to be the shot caller. Yeah. You know? Um, and, and, you know, maybe that's how I, I survived. Yeah. And I didn't understand what I was going through then, but I understand now that that... It, it's in a, a a life event, you know, and when you're such a young teenager um, and you fall into that state of depression and hopelessness and, then, and, and and you tell yourself that you deserve to be in prison, that you your life is 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 worthless, um, that you're going to live for the rest of your life in prison. The only outlet that I had was to continue to hold on to and grab to, to to my gang. Yeah. Like my gang, it it gave me hope. It it gave me like something to hold on to at that time. It was like a family. Yeah, and yeah. and 
you know, so ro rolling into uh, Central Juvenile Hall in 1989, you know, I went, I, as soon as I hit R&R, &R, you know, um, I wasn't there five minutes and I was already into a fight. And then I walked around the corner and I was into another fight. Like, you know, I literally did not care about my life, you know, and, and so I went straight from from there to I'd say it was called ICU. ICU. Yeah. <laughs> I remember. And you know, and I remember the first night I spent there, I woke up and I had like all these roaches crawling all over me. Um and it was cold and it was dark and I was hungry. Um and I remember looking out the little window, you know, mm -hmm. like who's out there? And in all this trauma that's happening to me, all this, these things, I'm like, oh, that's my enemy. Yeah. You know, like, I'm gonna have to get him. Yeah. It's it's a it's a hunter mentality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and you know those were my first steps into the uh, juvenile hall system. Yeah. So, you know, without getting into details, what do you formally charge and then what's your, your full sentence? So my my full sentence, uh, well, I was formally charged with uh, murder and it, I believe it was like six counts of, of attempted murder and, and mayhem and gun charges and, and other things. Uh, eventually, I... I actually, so it was the first time that I had ever been um, incarcerated and arrested at, at that age, at the age of 16. And, and that's, again, that's uncommon because mm -hmm. usually a lot of us have been in and out of jail in the halls mm -hmm. and then finally, you know. And the judge in my case actually found me fit for, for juvenile court. So you could have been in YA to the age of 25, and then that would have been it. Yeah, yeah. So I, the, the DA appealed it, and, you know, because of the the temperature of, of the city and, yeah. and, and my case and everything all around, uh, they appealed it. The, the judges in the appellate court, um, they, like, re they reversed the order. I had to go back. And they found me fit for adult court. Wow. And so then I went on and I, I, I spent approximately a year and a half in two years in juvenile hall. And then as soon as I turned 18, I got bounced to the county jail. So, I mean, you, you're going from one extreme, never being busted, never being in a juvenile hall, and to another extreme, which you never been in a juvenile hall prior to this, and then your first happy birthday is bounced in, into the central jail. Central jail, yeah. I mean that that's that's a that's a pretty rough start. I mean that's an awakening moment for any young man. I mean you you know you think about eighteen, yeah, you're an adult, but you're still a young man. I mean you're you're still a kid oh, yeah. at, at that age. And and so, what was your story? I mean, uh, 
can you share <laughs> some of that? Or did you get in trouble as well? What, what, what happened with you? Yeah, I mean, like I continued in in the lifestyle, and um, eventually, you know, you I got caught up in got arrested a couple of times, and um, when I was sixteen, I got arrested for a slew of charges, uh, mostly robbery, uh, attempted murder, and. Um, I was also charged as an adult. I lost my fitness right away. Um, and I think I spent like nine months in juvenile hall just fighting my case. Out of East Lake? Yeah. Um, and then once they found me unfit, then I went to the famous... Uh, <laughs> Sybil Brand? Uh, no. Um, you didn't go to Sybil Brand? No, 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 you no, no. Um, the court on Temple. Oh, uh, uh, CCB. Yeah, CCB. Yeah. The famous CCB. That's right. You know, and you know I changed uh, the name of that, that courtroom? The oh, sign, really? The sign that's there? Oh, yeah. Really? Yes. Wow. Yeah, that, w- that night when we were installing the new name to the criminal courts building, uh, that was a moment for me. I bet. As, you know, and I remember the guy that was... Uh, uh, we were installing it with, and I said to him, I said, this is the court where I was found guilty. This is where I got convicted. Yeah. And that morning, we were there from like 12 midnight to about maybe 3 in the morning. This That's the only spot that we could install this sign. And at 7 in the morning, media and everybody was going to be there to rededicate the building and the new name. Yeah. So that was kind of kind of crazy. But... So you're there at CCB, yeah. the yeah, famous CCB. courthouse. Mm-hmm. Where they handed out life sentences to kids, yeah. like candy. Yeah. And um, I was facing a life sentence. Um, and by the grace of God and my parents being able to scrounge up some money for an actual lawyer, mm. um, I ended up getting transferred over to Pasadena court. Um, But it was tough, you know, like you go in as a kid and, and you start to understand the language as you're going into court. Right. But right off the bat, I did not know what they were talking about. Like fit, unfit. um, I don't think any of us knew. Yeah. But we were just like, Oh, well, like we're, I rolled with the punches because like Robert shared, we knew in this lifestyle it was just two paths, yeah. either prison or death. And I figured, well, I didn't die, so here I am. Prison it is. Prison it is. And I got to figure it out. But it was, it was challenging to grasp. I yeah. remember in juvenile hall, um, um, they separated me from a lot of the girls because I was one of, um, we were called HROs. Mm-hmm. Are you guys called HROs too? High-risk offenders, mm-hmm. all in orange. No. We were in orange. Okay. So they, they divided us. Um, and uh, this DSO uh, was doing like this meditation. And she was like, imagine, you know, close your eyes and, <laughs> and uh, imagine you being on the beach and you feel like the... The, the wind and you know you hear the palm trees I was like 
his smell. <laughs> <laughs> All I can smell is that peanut butter sandwich is the only thing I can smell. <laughs> um, but it was the first time that I actually thought that, wow, I'm never going to experience that ever again. Yeah. I was sure I was going to get the life sentence. Um, what did you end up getting? I ended up taking a deal for three years and two strikes. So as I sit here, I'm, I, even though my crime was over 20 years ago, I still have two strikes. Yeah, yeah, that, does, that, that doesn't, doesn't erase. go away, you know, yeah. and, um, and I didn't want to take it. I rather, I told my lawyer I'd rather take the 19 years because it was either that or 19 years and, my mom was like, what? Why? Yeah. And I was like, because you give me two strikes, I'm one. bound to go back to the streets again. Yeah. And I'm just going to, you're going to tease me with freedom? Like, yeah. no, I'm, I'd rather take, do the 19 and that's it. You know, not risk that life sentence yeah. again. Yeah. So, um, but um, after hearing my parents and, them break down and yeah. um, I decided to take it. I was like, okay, okay, God, yeah. what next? And it was tough, you know? I lost my brother while I was incarcerated. So that was, that was like a turning point for me um, because him and I, we didn't get along on the streets because we were from two different neighborhoods. Oh, wow. So we would actually like, I learned how to fight because of my brother. We would actually box and. And, um, and that was another thing that 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 was very um, uh, familiar as well with uh, gangs having siblings that were from rival gang, yeah, yeah, different neighborhoods, and they would go at it. I mean, I we had some in our neighborhood, and you know, it it got really dirty. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in those times, so wow, man, so. So you take the, the deal, and uh, where, where are you sent to? Um, so I was lucky enough to get housed in YA. So I Ventura? didn't get prison. Yeah, I went to Ventura. <laughs> I went to Ventura. I was one of the last M numbers. Okay. Um, yeah. I still remember my number. Who doesn't ever forget, yeah. right? Yep. Yeah, you, you, I don't care what you go through. Yeah. You will always remember that number. Yeah. yeah. So let me ask you a question just on a side note. Have you ever been pulled over since you've been out at all? Yeah. Yes. You have? We actually got pulled over together. Yeah. That's <laughs> Hey, that's breaking news here on the Shot Collar Podcast. As you know, this is the kind of stuff that happens only here. Uh, <laughs> that's hilarious. That's got to be comedy. So what happens there? <laughs> yeah. And that, like I'm still on parole. Yeah. yeah. You know? Um, so I went, I went past a... A, a uh, no right turn or something, so I pull over, um, and then you know, Darlene's <laughs> like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and then the officer comes to to her side, yeah, and you know, I got my ID, my registration, you know, all legit, yeah, and yeah. then I'm like, "Here you go, officer," and he's like, "Hey, you you missed that that turn, yeah. you went, you know, whatever the violation was, I, I'm not I don't even remember." And as soon as I gave him my ID, 
I said, hey, I have to tell you that I'm on parole. Yeah. You know, like I'm, I was already like, yeah, yeah. you know, I got to tell you. Game. Yeah, like here you go. And, and I'm on <clears throat> parole. And he, he, he went back right to his yeah, car. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He went to his car. So we're thinking, oh, man, I'm going to get a ticket. You know, so or and worse. So. <laughs> and then, or, or, or. I'm pretty sure I know what's going to happen here. <laughs> no, or, or he's going to be like, hey, you know, passenger, get off the car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, put, put your, put your keys out the, car. out the window. Yeah, yeah, throw your keys. That, like, literally, that's, you know, what yeah, yeah. Doing. And I'm like, fine, you know, yeah. like. And no, he came back and he was like, he asked me a question, right? Like, yeah. how much. Time did you do or something like that? I don't no, know. I he, think he asked, "What are you on parole for?" Yeah. Would, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. And 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 I told him, you know, yeah. I, uh, when I was young teenager, I, I used to involved with with gangs and and you know I, I was arrested for a murder, and he was like, "Wow," and then um, we actually we told him what 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 I I do now, yeah. Um, you know, in my career and. And then he was like, man, wow. He was like, you know what? I have an uncle or somebody in his family. He said that I just wish he would just change. Um, so he gave me back my, my ID and just gave us a warning. And, and this, this is, this is, and I would just, on a, on a side note, I think it's important to, to tell folks out there, you know, when you get pulled over, just be polite. Yeah. Just listen to the instructions, because here you are, and one of the things that I, that I've learned, I've been pulled over four times, and I thought actually you surprised me there because I thought cause this has happened to me on well no two of, two of the four mm-hmm. where I gave them my driver's license, and within I, if I say three to four minutes that'd probably be a long time. I have about I don't know five to ten cruisers in back. Mm. And um, one of those is a police officer with his with her hand on uh, on her gun, mm-hmm. not out, yeah. but on her holster. And I, you know, you expect that mm-hmm. because no matter what, they're going to run your name, and it's going to show forever for the rest of our lives. Yeah. It's going to be there. But the thing is, I think educating those of us that have been through that, uh, that have convictions, is just follow the instructions and be polite and. 10 out of 10, most likely, you'll, the worst thing that will happen is you'll get a ticket, ticket. and then you're let go. I mean, that's really what usually takes place. You know, they got more important things to do than, than you know, for a traffic or a moving violation. They're not going to sweat you like that. Um, unfortunately, we're living in a time where uh, there's a lot of, a lot of confusion. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the media plays a, a large role in what the public watches, and uh, I think it's unfair because it also puts a lot of other people in danger, you know, uh, when they think that this is what's going to happen if they don't comply. Comply. It's, there's nothing, you know, you're going to waste 15 minutes of your time, mm-hmm. and most likely you're let go. Yeah. So um, so <laughs> that's funny, though, both have, of you. I have a lot of PTSD, though, around cops. Uh, so. Of course. <laughs> I mean, you know, you know. So my yeah. heart goes like a million miles an hour, yeah. and I'm like... I don't yeah. know. Keep your hands on the steering wheel. <laughs> but th- right? You just you know? keep your hands on the steering wheel where they yeah, can see yeah. them? 
yeah. and comply. That's it. Yeah. I, I think that's the safest route. Yeah. I still uh, carry this. my parole discharge card. Really? Yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. I don't. I, I, just I, because you just never know. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know? But are you still in parole? Or no? no, no, no. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've been off long parole for, for a long time, but yeah, yeah. I still have it. Wow. I don't yeah. think I ever, uh, I don't even know where mine is at. I, 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 I'm trying to erase things from my past, man. <laughs> the Greyhound ticket and my and, and my court, uh, I still Your do docket. have my, my, yes, that I still have. It's there. You got to keep that. You got to keep that. You know, yeah, that's, you know, it's a reminder. But yeah. uh, other than that, I mean, but so here you guys, you're out. I mean, freedom, there's nothing like freedom. There's nothing like freedom. What was the first thing you ate when you came out? A uh, steak. A steak. Mm. You went wow. for the gusto. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> Who gave you a steak, yeah, bro? I, <laughs> I think I had yeah. Burger King or something. <laughs> I had ice cream. Man. All I wanted is real ice cream, man. And, 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 you know, I went through the brain freeze and everything with, you know, and, and eating yeah. like this. Remember that? I just went like bam and, and no, like this. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> you're, you're, the bowls right there. I had a, a, a pint, and I finished it. I went through brain freeze with no problem. <laughs> this dude's over here having steaks. What's up with that, man? Who do you know? Hey, well, I just you know it was it was, um, it was a long time coming, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> far away from the SOS. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> that's cool, man. So, so what are you doing nowadays? Um, you know, you're. You've been out. Both of you are out. The, the, here's the, the cool, unique thing. You're both in the same program working the same thing. I, yeah. Am I correct? Well, we work yes. in different areas. Departments. Yeah. yeah. Areas okay. of, of, of reentry, mm-hmm. I want to say. Yeah, we work in different areas of reentry. Uh, but we're both life coaches. Life coaches. Yeah. <laughs> Look at that, man. Breaking news, people. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 yeah, it's been it's been um, and I'm you know I'll share I'll share some of the, you know some of those moments where I had that 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 switch come on for me. But uh, right now, yeah, we um, so I, I work as a life coach, um, and I help uh, coordinate and train and support, mentor, facilitate, counsel uh, individuals that. Uh, we prepare them uh, through a 12-week course through our nonprofit, and they, after them completing this course, uh, we work with uh, local unions with the Los Angeles and Orange County Building Trades uh, here in Los Angeles, um, and they help us get those uh, individuals, men and women, uh, into some uh, good-paying uh, union trade jobs. Man, huge. That's huge, man. Yeah. And then that's huge. You know, here's the. I'm, I'm, I'm upset a little bit here, <laughs> and I'll tell you why. Because when I when I stepped out, there was none. Right. There was <laughs> nothing like like the this this program this ARC. I, th- that did not exist. Mm-hmm. You came out and hey, figure it out. You're two hundred dollars. And you're two hundred, but yeah, <laughs> you know, and and there was no. You need to get a job within the thir- the, the, this thirty days, and or in school, yeah. one of the two, or else we you, they could violate you, and you know the stress of of that. Uh, there was no life coach. There was no you know uh, uh, there was none of that. Yeah. Uh, I got born again in there, so 
when I came out, I didn't even know what church looked like out here. And so that was another, you know, uh, episode for me to, to, to figure out. But you're, you're born again. Oh, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. How'd that happen? So you know, rewinding back a little bit to, you know, being back inside and, and spending uh, a lot of years uh, living a, a lifestyle that was very destructive. Um, you know, I came, I came full circle. I came full circle. And there's two, there's like two moments. Well, there's actually, you know, quite a few moments, but there's like two moments that I remember very, very uh, vividly when uh, one morning uh, I was in Pelican Bay and they did a, a what they call in, inside a, uh, a raid, a pod raid. So, you know, they come running in. Uh, the gang units in, in, in CDCR and they run to your door and, you know, hey, you know, cuff up, you know, and strip out. And, you know, we went through the, through the, the process and then, you know, you get cuffed, you get waistbands, you get shackled, feet, legs, every time you step out of your cell. And, they would take us to different holding cells while they searched our cells and rummaged through our stuff and all those things. Um, and, you know, I had been doing that for for over a decade. And, you know, I knew that that that, that was my life. And I used to visualize myself dying, like, alone in a room in the cell, I used to visualize taking my last breath because I wanted to be prepared. You know, I didn't want to be frightened or, or scared of, of death. Um, and I remember laying in my cell and literally closing my eyes and telling myself, okay, now like just like die. And I used to see other um, men suffer and die in their cells. And I remember hearing their moans and hearing them taking their last breaths, whether they were dying from cancer or um, hepatitis, you know, and, and I like, it was it was a moment in, in, in my life where like I knew that I just felt something inside of me was was turning. And so that morning when they, when they took me out and they put me in the cell, I remember way back, you know, growing up and watching my grandmother reading her Bible. Hmm. She, my, my grandmother was one of these old, you know, abuelitas that read her Bible four or six hours a day. Mm. And she she would always tell me, hey, you know, you're you're my niño bueno. You know, you're you're my good kid. Yeah, my good kid. You know, and and I was like, yeah, grandma, yeah. And that that day I I um 
<laughs> I I said, all right, God, like if you exist, like you better give me a sign. You know, and this is this is after 22 years of of imprisonment and incarceration. You know, I'm 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 a, I'm a grown man physically. Um but emotionally I was not. And you know, I was asking, you know, like if you exist, like give me a sign. You know, give me a sign or or like because it's about to go down, you know? And out of nowhere, a guard calls my name. Hey! I'm like, what's up? He's like, you got a visit. A visit? And he's like, yeah, you got a visit. Now, mind you, this is like Cabellican Bay. Yeah. It's an 18-hour yeah. drive. Yeah. Right? <laughs> And I go, I go, I go into to this this um, this other cell because we're behind glass. That's the only way you can visit individuals in, in in Pelican Bay at that time in solitary confinement. I know a lot of have things have changed, thankfully, uh, since that time. And it's an attorney, and he tells me, "Hey, I have I have looked over your case. Your family hired me. Your parents hired me." Like, he was like, you have to do X, Y, and Z if you ever want a chance at your freedom. He said, and you're the type of individual that if you ever earn back your freedom, because at that time, I, I, I had no hope. Um, I had two life sentences because I caught a second life t sentence in prison for my prison behavior. So I was sentenced at the age of 16 with my first life sentence, and at the age of 22, I was sentenced with a second life sentence. And he told me, the laws are going to change. They hadn't yet changed, but he said, they're going to change. And if you do X, Y, and Z, you're going to be one of those individuals that can get out and live a very successful life. I took back that information with me. And, you know, I just pon pon pondered it. You know, I got a letter from my parents, and I can see they were, like, really concerned now. Um, my, my family you know, obviously went through their growth and changes within those 22 years. My mom is reborn again. Wow. She stopped, you know, drinking years ago. Wow, man. And she would always tell me, like, you know, God's going to perform a miracle in, in, in our families and in our lives. You know, at that time, I, I I didn't believe it. So that was like one episode that I had. And then finally, after some time, you know, I began to educate myself. Uh, I began to to just try and expand my mind. I I began to like become curious about things. You know, I was thirty. Six years old 
And I didn't even have my GED. Hmm. And, but I knew how to sharpen a life. I knew how to make a fish line. Like, I knew how to network. I knew how to play politics. You know? And there was a day that came and I went out to this little shoe yard that you're, you may be familiar with. And I'm, I'm walking in the shoe yard. And for the first time in my life, 22 years after I was incarcerated, like I had enough courage to walk back to the day I committed my crime. Hmm. So for 22 years, I didn't think about that time, that day, and that moment. And so, as I'm thinking, I start thinking about the, the destruction that we left behind. I started thinking about a family having to bury their child. I started thinking about a mother and a father having to be told, your child is dead. I started thinking about a community that I impacted. I started thinking about the officers and the first responders. How did they go back that night and hug their children? How did that affect them? And I started to understand the ripple effects of, of the actions in my behavior that day. And it like it all hit me at once. And you know, for the first time in my life, I grieved for my victim. And I surrendered. I, I surrendered to God. And I still had like no hope of, of release at that time. The laws hadn't changed or anything, but I just knew that I had to do something different than what I was doing. And I had to start by working on things that were going to help me instead of continue to dig a deeper hole for me. And so it, it, it was a, about a, a three-year process after that um, of educating myself, of, of starting to understand what, what my life was. You know, at the beginning of the podcast, I talked about the way I grew up. You know, I'm, I'm blessed that I still have my parents. You know, and I'm blessed that I still had the opportunity to understand that my mom suffered from alcohol and depression because she used to see her mom get beat by my grandfather. So you start to understand the generational trickle effects 
the trauma that we instill from one generation to the next with that type of behavior. And so, you know, going through that, that chapter in my life and, and coming full circle, you know, I knew that, that I had to change. And, you know, it's, a, it, it's an experience because I remember there was a time where I was curious, like, about the Bible. And I picked up the, the book. And I, tr I tried hard to really understand and, and, and read it. But it just seemed like gibberish to me at that time. And, and now when I pick it up, it speaks into my life. And, and a lot of that has to do with unless the Father draws. You know, and, it, and it takes the Father, God the Father, to draw our hearts to really accepting our behavior, understanding what we did. Because it wasn't... It wasn't just one victim in any of our cases. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's exactly what you said. It's a community. It's first responders. It's all those elements. And as a, you know, um, I don't know how your experience was in court, but when you're, when they're reading off the charges, when you're going through your trial, um, I didn't care. Mm -hmm. I didn't care about learning what the damage was, I didn't care about any of the, you know, legal. To me, it was it was gibberish. It was, you know, can we get this over with? Whatever, you know, it, it was that kind of attitude. But then when God comes in the scene in our lives, and it, it's it's only Him, mm -hmm. like repentance. There's no program for repentance. Yeah. There's there's no such thing as a three step program for repentance. It's either God touches your heart and the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you understand the gravity and the ugliness of our crime or crimes. Mm -hmm. And we have to make a, an immediate decision. What are we doing next? Mm -hmm. And I thank God that, you know, you, you opened up your heart and here it is where you know, and it's a decision that only we, we could make right on our own. Nobody can make it for us to change. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's very easy in an environment like that, in a hostile environment such as prison, to continue in the same prison politics. You know, um, you could reach the ranks of the highest shot caller in there, but you're really not. Somebody's always wanting that ticket. Somebody always wants that position, and it's never a, a you know, it's not something that you're going to really, really wish you took upon. Um, but I'm glad that you that God allowed that to happen in your life at that age, you know, and, and, and really snap to, to his reality. And the Bible, man, and uh, I, I find it uh, a little... Uh, funny when when you said when you know, when you tried opening that Bible for the first time prior to yeah. that moment mm -hmm. you, it didn't make sense mm -hmm. it, most likely because there was nothing but King James Bibles in there <laughs> 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 there was no watered down versions 
prior to that, right? I mean, back in the days, yeah, that's it was, yeah. it's all King James, uh, you know. Thou and they. Yeah, and you know, you're over here with, like Shakespeare <laughs> without even a GED. How am I going to understand this, right? <laughs> but you know, um, thank God, man, that 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 God, um, you know, led you to repentance, and, and and here you are, born again, a new man. All the old has passed away. This is what I love about Jesus, man. Like when you were telling me your story, you're part of the story. I could hear the the, the authenticity of that repentance, and 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 I I can it's it's almost like you're playing the movie, you know, as you're telling the story. And what I love about that is that Jesus forgave you for all of it. forgave you for all of it all of that everything that you did everything that we've done the bible says it's been nailed to the cross the handwriting of requirement that was against us it was nailed to the cross and you know his forgiveness is so far beyond understanding because here's a god that took our charges Everything that we've done, and not only forgives us, but he, he, he says that he tosses us to a sea of forgetfulness. As far as the yeah. east is from the west, that's how far he separates our sin, far from, from us, mm-hmm. and he remembers it no more. And only a loving and living God can do that. There's no other way. And if you're out there and you're, you're watching this, this podcast right now, I don't care what you've done in your life. It doesn't matter what you've done in your life. If you call on Christ, if you call on Jesus, and it's a simple prayer. It's like what you said, Lord, like, God, if you're real, you're going to have to send me a sign. Like, I want to know now. And he hears the, that cry yeah. of authenticity from our heart. And he responds because that's who he is. He's a living and merciful God. And, and man, um, I'm grateful, man, uh, that your life has changed, that your lives has changed. And and what does God have in store? I, I don't even know, man, but I, I just know that, you know, the scripture is so vibrant and it says that ears have not heard, eyes have not seen, ears have not heard. And nor has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared those that love him. So sky's the limit, brother. Um, you know, by God's grace, I've been out for a long time now. Um, it's a lot of hard work, I know. Uh, um, you know, uh, there's a lot of temptation out there. You know, uh, we all dreamt about coming out at some point. And then when we finally did, we didn't know what to do with it. You know, and th- thank God for the program that you're involved in that's helped you along the way, uh, the people that are involved uh, in-, in your lives. Where do you see yourself 10 years from now? And, but before you even answer that, something special is here uh, <laughs> that maybe uh, the, 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 the listeners uh, didn't catch on. But what's going on here? <laughs> Did I put you on the spot? <laughs> it's breaking yeah. news, people. <laughs> no, it's, it's, uh, um, yeah, I mean, 
I met I met Darlene. Um, we were introduced by a mutual friend. Um, <laughs> Darlene, <laughs> Darlene's hilarious. And, and, uh, but, so yeah, I, I met I met Darlene, um, and it it just it was one of those things where I think first we were we were friends. Um, but what did you ask for? For for your number? No. <laughs> I was like, oh, she's pretty cute. <laughs> no, Robert goes, um, he was asking me, oh, what do you do? What type of work do you do? And I told him I'm a life coach, yeah. you know, with ARC. And yeah, you asked for my number and I gave you my business card. And he's like, I may need a life coach one day. <laughs> he put it in his Dang. <laughs> <Essay> got moves. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty smooth, bro. That's pretty smooth, man. Yeah. But I think um, getting to know Darlene and admiring her as, as a woman, as a daughter, as a mother, you know, um, you know how can how can you not fall in love with with a, a woman who's so strong and beautiful? <laughs> um, so yeah, we you know we started dating and it it was it, you know it hasn't been an, a smooth ride. Yeah, you know, and, and relationships are not. No, you know. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, one one of the the reasons why a lot of uh, individuals that come home and are system impacted recidivate is because of relationships. Yep. Yeah. You know, uh, relationships, drugs and alcohol, and a criminal lifestyle. Yeah. Those are like the three main components to recidivism. Um, but, you know, having gone through this journey with, with Darlene by my side, um, has has made me the man that I am today. You know, so that's pretty cool stuff, man. That's pretty, you know, it's funny. We, we I've been married for. <laughs> oh, I'm about to get in trouble. Twenty, uh -oh. twenty two years. <laughs> no, twenty three years. Twenty three years. Dang. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I, I we should have a podcast with all four of us. So my my wife has done time as well. Oh. She did federal time. Yeah. And uh, uh, so we got some. Got some tips for you guys, man. You yeah. know, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we we've been around the block out here, uh, you know, and uh, and uh, I'm I'm actually today's her birthday. Wow! Oh, so wow. to my happy wife, birthday. man, happy birthday, <laughs> Sana. You're the best thing that ever happened to me, uh, aside from Christ. Uh, yeah, she. I'm beyond blessed uh, with this woman of God, and um, but I could see the sparkle in both of you guys. It's like, yeah, yeah. Mm. Remember that, Sana? Remember when we had that? I'm just playing. I'm just playing. Uh, hey. I'm <laughs> playing, <laughs> but but man, what, so where do you see you guys? Where do you see yourselves? Let's say ten years from now. You know, I th there's a thing like here, because you know we are in the same career field. Yeah. Um. You know, even though we work in different uh, departments, different areas. Um, you know, I'm I'm in a point right now in my life when I'm just starting to understand life and balance. You know, yeah. Um, and where I hope to see myself in, in 
10 years is, you know, living with Darlene and her family and being able to enjoy that balance. Mm. Yeah. You know, um, success, I think success really depends on your definition of it. Yeah. You know, um, individuals will say, well, you're, you're successful now. You know, um, I don't know, am I? Mm. You know, it's, it's, it's one of those questions. Um, but I think what I'm starting to understand about life is that there are more important things than, and I know it sounds cliche, but than money. You know, health, waking up another day, enjoying your freedom, having breakfast. Watching the sunset. Mm. Like those are the gifts of life. Yep. And those are for free. In a sense. Yeah. Mm. And, you know, I think as a former lifer, as someone who has been uh, system impacted and incarcerated for, for all those, for two over two decades, I have an advantage now. Mm. You know? Um... And, and, you know, that's, that's, in a sense, my advantage. And, you know, now that you, you talked earlier about, like, where things are as far as our, our country, our city, our... our and I think, I, I, you know, I, I, I challenge my community, my fellow brothers and sisters. Like, we're unifiers now. Mm. Yeah. You know, we're, we're the voice... In the middle now. And, and you know, that's how I see my role now. But moving forward, you know, is, is to come and bring, yes, that understanding and awareness, but also that hope. Yeah. And 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 that humanness that I talked about earlier. You know, we get caught up in all these things and sensationalizing and the violence and the hatred and I think when you know it, how we know it, mm-hmm. it speaks to us different. Yep. I love this city. Mm-hmm. I I love its people. I love its diversity. And and I I still have hope and faith that that you know, our human. Our humanity is gonna gonna overcome and 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 win the day amen amen well those are some strong strong uh closing words there i'm so glad that you guys came through and agreed to uh to this interview and you know and and thank you for being so available yeah. uh darlene uh for uh you know you're a, dyna- a dynamic duo man <laughs> and um you're gonna do some brave and um wonderful things in the city with what you're doing you know if i had any advice for you is keep christ at the center of your relationship and not just in the center of your relationship in the center of everything keep him first because this this is what's going to make all the difference you know we can work for people for programs for all all this stuff at the end of the day we have an account to give 
um, at the end of this life, we have an account to give to the Lord. Yeah. And and um, but I love how your your passion for the city, for for humanity, you know. And who else can tell the story? Who else will they hear? But people like us, mm-hmm. because we've been through it. We we've we were part of the problem at one time, and now through God's grace, we have a solution. And um, that's something that has been granted to us. Mm -hmm. Um, Thank God for sunsets. Thank God for parks. You know, I don't know about MacArthur Park, but... (laughs) (laughs) Echo Park. Echo Park. Park. It's a little bit bit nicer. (laughs) (laughs) But thank God for those things, right? I mean, to wake up and go to your fridge, you know, not hear the bells, not hear... The, the clanging of metal, keys, keys, all that stuff, man. We, we, what a tremendous price of freedom. Yeah. So, um, thank you guys for for being here. Hopefully, I can have you guys back. I think we had a fun time. Yeah, yeah uh, awesome. you know, uh, awesome. and sharing your story. If you're out there and you're listening or you're watching this on, on YouTube, you know, don't give up on hope. Uh, there's a God that loves you. There's a God that wants to have a relationship with you, and all you got to do is call on them. Um, Los Angeles, um, you know, you heard the story of Robert and and Darlene, uh, wonderful people, wonderful changes, wonderful lives. And uh, you too, you too could make a difference, and you too can change your life. Uh, hand it over to the Lord and then allow him to do the rest. You know, um, that, that, that's pretty much it, man. Thank you both for for being here for what you're doing. Thank uh, you. Uh, any programs that you want to you know um, share that uh, that you're involved in before we close uh, that you want to recommend to someone that's out there? What's you know? Well, both Robert and I work for ARC, the Anti Recidivism Coalition. We um, help folks that are coming out of jails and prisons. Um, we also do a lot of advocacy work. So it's funny enough because when I did a lot of advocacy work with ARC in the beginning. So I fought for the bills that actually that passed to get Robert home. And I didn't even know wow. that we would eventually be here. <laughs> <laughs> SB 260, SB 261. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. And, and you know, this, this year, um, just to piggyback off of that, uh, Proposition 17, yeah. you know, that will restore the voting rights back to convicted felons. Yeah. Yeah, you know, so big stuff. Let's make it happen. Big stuff, changes. man. That's awesome. You guys are uh, just really awesome people, man. I, I'm so proud that you made it out, and you're doing just tremendous things out here. Uh, I'm cheering you on on the sideline, man. And, and let's get let's get LA back to uh, it's standing. Uh, you know, let's make LA get, uh, good, great again. That yeah. that's you know, let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like yeah, that. yeah. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> Los Angeles, thank you so much for joining us on the Shot Caller Podcast. As always, um, if you um, are out there and you want to support us, it's very easy. Just go to kcdias.net, click on the podcast icon, and you can become a, a, a subscriber and a, a donor um, uh, of this podcast. I know that you're hearing some great stories out there. And we really ap- appreciate everyone that is on board and financially uh, um, supporting this podcast. 
We're going to keep on bringing uh, tremendous stories of redemption, of uh, lives that are changed and doing awesome things out here on the streets of Los Angeles. Till the next time, God bless you, and always, always keep Jesus first. Amen.